Okay, we're doing now Friday's portion of Vayigash. Yesterday we discussed the entire family of Jacob, himself and his 69 descendants, now all together in Egypt. So it says, verse 28 of chapter 46, he sent Judah, Judah before him to Goshen, to Joseph, to instruct ahead of him in Goshen, and they came to the land of Goshen. So Rashi explains that the way Unculus explains this is to clear the place for him, to instruct him how to settle it before he arrives. So Rashi also brings the Midrash that Bahoros Lafana really means to instruct, and it means that Jacob sent Judah to establish a house of study from which Tyra would go forth to the Jewish people. We see here a very strong lesson. The first thing Jacob is thinking before he gets to Egypt, before he even arrives, he sent Judah ahead, build a study hall. There has to be Tyra to ensure the continuation, the survival of the Jewish people in Egypt. Next, verse 29. Joseph hires his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen. And he appeared to him, fell on his neck, and he wept on his neck excessively. So, it says that Joseph harnessed his chariot. Why is the verse telling us this? So he himself did it to quickly go for the honor of his father. In other words, normally we would assume that Joseph had many, many servants that were harnessed his chariot. But to show the respect he had for his father, he did it personally. And he appeared to him. Joseph appeared to his father. As we see, all the previous pronouns are about Joseph. Joseph harnessed the chariot. Joseph, therefore, is the one that now appeared to his father, and he wept on his neck. So this means that Joseph exceedingly, exceedingly cried. But what's interesting here is, what about Jacob? He didn't cry. He didn't kiss him. So our sages say he was reciting the Shema prayer. So some commentaries explain, that when Jacob saw Joseph, he experienced such a great outpouring of love that he immediately wanted to channel this love, such an enormously intense love. He wanted to channel this love for God. So he immediately recited the Shema, take all this love and give it to God. And then Jacob says, then Israel, Israel said to Joseph, I can die this time after my having seen your face because you are still alive. I can die this time, there's the way Onkelos explains it. Onkelos says, like, were I to die at this time, I would be consoled. Meaning, if at this point I died, so to speak, I'm okay. I saw you, I'm okay. The Midrash says that Jacob meant, I thought I was going to die to death in this world and in the world to come. Because I would be held guilty for your death. But now you're alive, so I'm dying one time and not two. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, and I will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. Rashi says, I will say to him, etc. In other words, what's happening here is redundant. It sounds like I will tell Pharaoh and I will say to him sounds redundant. But the reason the verse is written this way is to show there's two separate statements Joseph is going to make to Pharaoh. One, 
his brothers and his father's household came to him. And two, as the verse goes on to say, the men are shepherds. So that's very important. Joseph wanted to, we're going to see why, make sure Pharaoh knew that his brothers were all shepherds. As the verse continues, the men are shepherds, they have been cattlemen, their flocks and cattle and everything they own, they have brought. And it will be when Pharaoh summons you and says, what is your occupation? Then you shall say, your servants have been cattlemen from my youth until now, both we and our forefathers. Now, Joseph is saying this to his brothers. This is what you should tell Pharaoh, and then Joseph explains why. So that you may settle in the land of Goshen. Every shepherd is an abomination to Egypt. All of this idea here, Joseph's plan here is to that the Jews would not be, so to speak, living among the Egyptians. They should have their own land. They should actually have the best land, land of Goshen, which is a pasture land. So when you tell Pharaoh that you don't know anything else, the only thing you know how to do is be a shepherd, He'll put you there. He has no choice. If you're only shepherds, he's got to give you pasture land. Now it says it's an abomination to Egypt. So Rashi says because shepherds are a deity to the Egyptians. So the point here, there's two ways of understanding this. According to the Zohar, where it says it's an abomination to Egypt, shepherds, abomination here actually means a deity, a pagan deity. In other words, since the Egyptians worshipped sheep, they also worshipped, so to speak, or held them very high esteem, shepherds. So therefore, if Pharaoh says, all the shepherds, I don't even know what to do is be shepherds, then Pharaoh has to give you the best land in Egypt because the Egyptians revere shepherds for tending the god, the sheep. That's how the Zohar explains it. Others say, no, abomination means like disgusting, abominable. In other words, the Zohar is looking at abomination as a euphemism for an idolatry. The simple meaning of abomination is something abominable. Why is it abominable? Because since the Egyptians, it's all coming from the same premise, since the Egyptians worship sheep, they find it abominable that shepherds are not taking care of a god. Shepherds aren't treating sheep like gods, treating them like sheep. And therefore, the Egyptians were very upset with shepherds for not properly revering the pagan god of the Egyptians. So from that perspective, Pharaoh's going to put you in Goshen because he would want to separate you from the rest of his people because, ugh, shepherds? So either Pharaoh's going to put you in Goshen because, wow, you, sh- you should have the best, you're shepherds. Or he's going to put you in Goshen because they don't want you anywhere near them. You're shepherds. Then Joseph came and told Pharaoh, and he said, my father, my brothers, and their flocks, and their cattle, and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan, and they are now in the land of Goshen. The verse continues, And from part of his brothers he took five men and stood them before Pharaoh. So Rashi's wondering, what does this mean from part of his brothers? So Joseph made sure, and of course all of his brothers were superhuman in their strength, but some of them didn't look it as much because they weren't as superhuman in their strength. So he looked for the five weakest-looking of the brothers. Again, even the weakest-looking brothers, which were very, very, very strong. But Pharaoh wouldn't realize. Because if Pharaoh saw them and he understood their enormous strength, obviously he's kind of want them as his warrior. So who were these five weakest-looking brothers? Uvain, Shimon, Levi, Sachar, and Yama. It's very interesting. Because remember, Shimon and Levi were the two who, at age 13, killed out an entire city of Shechem. 
here Rashi enumerates them as the weakest looking of the brothers, which again implies not necessarily were they the weakest, but they were the weakest looking of the brothers. Now how did Rashi know who are the weakest brothers? So we see this later when Moses blessed the brothers, they were these five brothers, Moses didn't repeat their name when he blessed them. Because the mighty ones, the warriors, when he blessed them, he repeated his name, like it says. And this is to Judah, hear God to Judah's voice. Or of God he said, thus is he who broadens God. So the other brothers, one way or another, Moses got their name in twice. So that extra time saying it was like to instill in them this enormous strength because they had it. So we're building on their strong qualities here. But these five, Moses doesn't go in that direction because that wasn't their, their forte, so to speak. So that's how Rashi knows who the weakest brothers are. That's one way of understanding it. That's what explains it in the Talmud of Jerusalem. But in the Babylonian Talmud, it actually says opposite. It says that, no, Moses repeated the names of the weaker tribes because he wanted to give them strength. And those were the ones that Joseph brought to Pharaoh. So it wasn't the list we said before, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Sachar, and Benjamin. It was rather God and Naphtali and Dun and Zvulun and Asher. These are the ones that Moses repeats their names because they're weak. They need strength. Our only question on this is, then why is Judah's name repeated? Because we know that Judah was very, very strong. So if we want to follow this logic, which makes sense, that Moses repeated the names of the weak tribes to give them strength, why would he repeat Judah's name? Arashi says he doesn't say the reason. He just says there's another reason why he had to repeat Judah's name. In the Talmud there, it explains that the first time Moses mentions Judah, it's a prayer at banishment that Judah took upon himself when he guaranteed the well-being of Benjamin should be rescinded. In other words, even though he did take care of Benjamin and nothing happened to Benjamin and he risked his life and was willing to give up his life for Benjamin, but still the words of a righteous person have a power. So still those words could be harming him now. And therefore Moses said his name this extra time to remove any negative repercussions from that vow that Judah took. So the verse continues. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what are your occupation? Of course, they knew the answer. They answered Pharaoh, each of your servants is a shepherd, both we and our forefathers. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, since there is no grazing for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, if you please, allow your servants to dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, saying, your father and your brothers have come to you, the land of Egypt is before you, and the best of the land settle your father and your brothers. Let them settle the land of Goshen. And if you know that there are capable men among them, appoint them as managers of the livestock of that which is mine. The Rashi explains capable men here means men that are really expert at their occupation, that they're really, really good shepherds. And then these men should actually become the shepherds of Pharaoh's sheep. In other words, what Rashi is clarifying is it's not that we're saying put your brothers over in charge of my current managers of the sheep, but rather literally your brothers should become shepherds instead of my current shepherd. Then, verse continues, 
Joseph brought Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. It says that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. This type of blessing means like a greeting, as all that appear before the king, to give them a reverential greeting. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of your years of your life? Now, it sounds like a sort of rude question. I guess kings can be rude. But it's explained that Jacob looks so old at this point. He really wasn't so old as he's going to, well, I mean, everything's relative. But he looked so old, he had been through so much. And in those days already, people weren't living as long as in previous times, meaning Abraham lived till 175, Isaac lived till 180. Ultimately, Jacob lived until 147. But at that time, people weren't already living such long lives. So his old age, at this point he's 130, was very unusual. So that's the question that Pharaoh asked him. Well, let's see, what does Jacob respond? Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourns here have been 130 years. Few and bad have been the days of the years of my life. They have not reached the days of the years of lives of my forefathers and the days of their traveling. So he's basically saying to Pharaoh, I lived 130 bad years, and that's why I look the way I do, which could sort of seem surprising. Like, why is he complaining about his life? doesn't sound like a very righteous thing to do. <coughs> and it also seems like an oxymoron. Pharaoh is asking him, my gosh, you look so old. I haven't met such an old person. Such a, I've never met such an old person. How old are you? And he says, ah, I'm only 130 years old, which, again, in those days was quite old age. So the Rev explains that Pharaoh was actually here receiving a message from Jacob. Jacob was telling him something. He was saying, you know what? You look at me, you see, I, I look quite old. So, wow, I had such a good, long years of my life. No, my life is not good at this moment. You know my life is not good? Because my life is only good if the Messiah comes. At this point, we just went down to Egypt. We're not going in the direction of the Messiah. It's not a good life. No, it's not good. We need the Messiah now. Now, why did Jacob want to give that message to Pharaoh? It was because Pharaoh's thinking, oh, Joseph's family settling in Egypt. Joseph is a very special blessed person that has brought much good to Egypt. I'm glad his family is here. I'll get a lot of use out of them. They'll become integrated in the Egyptian population. And Jacob is saying, no, we are not going to be here to become integrated in the Egyptian population. Our goal is not to settle in Egypt. We're here as travelers. We're here temporarily. Our goal is the Messiah. We want to get out of here and go back to Israel as soon as possible. Obviously, as soon as possible, it took 210 years. But all the time that they were there, those 210 years, we're not Egyptians. We're on our way to Israel. We want the Messiah. So Rashi says, the years of my traveling means the years of my transience because I've always been transient. I've always been traveling. And he said they haven't reached the years of my forefathers, meaning Abraham and Isaac, in terms of goodness. <clears throat> in other words, what did, what did he mean by this? How does he know if he's going to reach his forefathers' years? Again, Abraham passed away 175, Isaac 180. Maybe he's going to live that long. He doesn't know at this point when he's going to die. So if he says he hasn't reached his father's years, it can't be the quantity of the years. It must be the quality of the years, that he didn't have the goodness. He had this hard life, so to speak. And that's why he has such an aged appearance. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and he left Pharaoh's presence. So remember, when Jacob came... It says, and he blessed him, which was the greeting. Now, he blessed him. Rashi says, the manner of all who depart, 
give them a blessing and permission to leave. And what blessing did Jacob bless him with? He blessed him that the Nile should rise to his feet. Why? Because Egypt was not watered by rainwater. That wasn't sufficient. So the Nile would rise, and by the rising of the Nile, this would irrigate the land of Egypt. But from that time of Jacob's blessing, whenever Pharaoh would go to the Nile, the Nile would rise toward him, and thus irrigate the whole land. So unfortunately, ultimately, Pharaoh abused this, and he took this as proof, so to speak, or credit for being a god, as Pharaoh proclaimed he was also a god. He said, look, the Nile's the god, and here I go to the Nile, and the Nile rises to greet me, so I must be an even greater god. But Jacob obviously said this from a place of holiness, and when evil absorbed it, unfortunately, it fed it even more.